where we talk to you about deviant women from history, mythology, literature, and contemporaneity. My name is Alicia. And I'm Lauren. And how are you doing today, Lauren? I'm really well, thank you. I say that as though it's true. (laughs) But you're actually (laughs) lying. You're lying. No, it's just mid-semester, you know how it goes. Mm. What did you do in your mid-semester? Oh, today actually was a really good day because I got to deliver a lecture about podcasts so exciting so that was really fun actually and it went really well it did i was happy with it good time what did you do today (laughs) (laughs) oh god yeah tell the people tell do i really tell the people yes today tell the people today i went to an auction of lego that's great that's what i did today local lego store was closing down (laughs) which is actually quite sad very sad and didn't actually buy anything. A bit on stuff. But all the nerds beat you to it. They sure did. The rich, rich nerds. I, they, yeah, really rich nerds with a lot of extra money to spend on Lego. But I had a really good time trying. Excellent. And it turns out I really enjoy bidding at auctions. <laughs> so I might just... Secondary career path. When I nearly academia spent, doesn't work out. Yeah, I nearly spent a lot of money that I don't have. On Lego. On Lego. <laughs> so that's that's today. Excellent. This so t- is, oh, it's a weird stage of the world that we're in today, you know, isn't it? We've had a whole leadership spill oh, recently shit. I here was in like, Australia. what are you talking about? But we, yeah, we did. We've, we've got, got a different prime minister now than we did last episode. If you're not from Australia. That this, happened really this quick. A, this is a thing that can happen when you're in Australia. You go to bed one day with one prime minister and you wake up the next day and someone stabbed him in the back and replaced him. Don't you wish that that happened in other countries? A2, hey. Scott Morrison. <laughs> But that's where we are in our world. Where are we in the world of history and mythology, Alicia? Well, we're going to be in the 5th century BCE. That's a really long time ago. It is. A is really that the long time furthest ago. back we've been? Uh, no, I think we went further back when we did Hatshepsut. Yes. But we haven't been this far back in quite some time. Not this season. No, we haven't. So we're going way back into the mist of time. And we're talking about... Artemisia, the first of Caria. Well, I don't know very much about her except maybe one portrayal. Yes. There's a couple of portrayals and there's one portrayal in particular that made me want to look at this figure. So so she's a bit of a legend, right? She's a bit of a myth, but there's also a bit of history there as well. Mm. So you Potentially know, like a real person. Yeah. So there's this the mists of historical, classical, ancient history mixed together mixed together as they often do exactly into a big bluey heap so we know that there is some historical evidence for the events that occurred some historical evidence for these individuals but you know the actual uh, the words and the events themselves a little bit inflated a little so bit elaborate what is our big with Artemisia what what do we really need to know about her off the bat so what what's we... crazy about her what's ridiculous what's so <laughs> deviant about her what's why should pitch? I care what's your pitch what's my elevator pitch yeah. I'm terrible at elevator pitches so I don't have one but she was a naval commander and she led a fleet of ships 
into glory. Excellent. There you go. How good. does that sound? That sounds good. Is that an okay pitch? Yeah, sure. I'd would, watch would that Would you movie. buy that movie? I'd watch it. I'd give it a try. Would you? Because it turns out there is a movie. <laughs> What? About this particular thing we're going to be talking about today. So the reason I wanted to talk about Artemisia is because there is a portrayal by Eva Green. <gasps> yes, of course. Eva Green. Oh, my God. Isn't she a babe? Yeah, she's all right. Oh, I think she's such a babe. Sorry. She's... Do continue. Yeah, she's, she's all right. She's a bit of all right. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, Eva Green is a Victorian lady. Just. Whew. So anyway, we, so she does play Artemisia in 300 Rise of an Empire, which is the, the sequel, sequel to 300. So 300. Mm. And now look, I love me a bit of stylized classical ancient violent type movies. It's not just because of all those slick slick buttery topless men uh, and women. That is okay by me. <laughs> I find that fine. I'm I'm on board. But I I I really do love ridiculous films about anything ancient and mythological. But this one made you angry. This one made me so angry. I left the cinema and started raging straight away <laughs> because the the nerdy history feminist inside of me was infuriated Why? by this film. Well, I don't remember the film very well. Okay, so, well, it's based on the comics by Frank Miller, so I don't know if yeah. it's a failure of Frank Miller's imagination. I feel it probably is. Mm. But it's also a failure of the director's imagination mm. and the screenwriter's imagination. Basically, it's Everybody. a failure of Hollywood's Hollywood. imagination. The patriarchy. Okay. So I'm talking about Hollywood. Artemisia, and she was, as I said, she was a, a naval commander. She was a fierce, ferocious fighter. Yeah. And in the film... What she does, which we'll come to talk about the, the historical figure and what she yep. actually does and in the, the historical context around that. Exactly. Mm. And of course, I mean, this is a film, so it's they make shit up and they, you know, it's there's not much history in it whatsoever. <laughs> but the thing that really frustrated me was that in order to explain why Artemisia was such a fierce woman. Yeah. They, oh, they gave her. Oh, I know what they gave her. I remember now. You know what they gave her? They gave her what men who don't know, men who are like yeah. women. Why what do women a woman be angry? Why are women, what, what motivates women? I don't understand women. I don't understand what compels them to do anything in the world. The only thing I could possibly think that might motivate a woman to be angry is a rape revenge her a story. Rape story. They gave her a rape revenge story that doesn't exist in the real historical records but so typical it's such a typical fucking concept of oh we've got a woman we don't know how to make her dramatic we don't know how to give her depth and character the give only... her a tragic backstory exactly and not just any tragic backstory a violent sexual a violent... backstory yes so in the movie, they explain how she comes to hate the Greeks. So the real Artemisia, she was the queen of Caria. Now, did she hate the Greeks? Yes, she did hate the Greeks. So let's take a little step back from the Hollywood version of yeah. her for a moment and have a look at the real world, as real world as we can get it, <laughs> historical yeah, for fifth century BC. Yeah. Yeah. So most of what we know about the real historical Artemisia comes from Herodotus and from his histories. Yeah. So Herodotus, known as the father of history. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that seems weird that I didn't know that. I'm surprised at myself. I'm <laughs> glad on, I, Lauren. I'm glad I know that now. Well, now you know. I really should know that. That's a, uh, Look, I forgive you. Okay, it's thank okay. you. 
So a PhD. <laughs> but your PhD wasn't in ancient Greek. That's true. So he's an interesting figure. So you know, he's the father of history and he writes about her in his histories. And this is kind of where we take the most knowledge that we have about her. He was born in a place called Halicarnassus, which is also where Artemisia was born. And where in Greece is that? Do you know? So it's not in Greece. Uh-huh. So Halicarnassus is actually in what we would now say is Turkey. Turkey. So modern day Turkey. But at the time was Persia. Yes. Okay? Yes. So Artemisia was the queen of Caria, which was this region in Turkey as part of the Persian Empire. And basically sort of the capital city of this region was Halicarnassus. Yep. So this is where Artemisia was born. And her father was kind of the governor of this mm. this city. Now, this city was actually a Greek city within the Persian yep. Empire because... The Greeks, of course, they're colonizing. Yeah. So this is pretty common. Pretty common. And her father was the governor of this region. So her father was Greek and her mother was from Crete. So she was essentially, mm. she was Greek. Mm. But her loyalties lay with the Persians. So Halicarnassus is the place that she grew up in, but it's also the place that Herodotus grew up in as well. Mm. So interestingly, he was born there around about the time that a lot of the stuff that he writes about was happening. So he, the reason we sort of think about him as the father of history is because he was the first person to try and sit down and record events that had happened within sort of his lifetime. Within his actual life, instead of writing about them centuries later, That's as they right. tended to do. Yeah. Yeah. So when he came to actually write about these events, they were still in very recent history. Mm. He had access to talking to people who'd been involved. Yep. So this is what makes his accounts about this particular period in time, really quite interesting for mm. us. Probably more, much more reliable too. Well, maybe. again, it's hard to know how much is elaborate, how much is the author's yeah. own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for us to know. It's mm. impossible for us to That's know. How really. far away from Artemisia was he? The events that we're t- going to be mainly talking about happened in about 480 Mm-hmm. and he was born in 484. Okay. So he was born only a few years before After. these events yep. happened because, yep. of course, we're working backwards, backwards in time, Yes. which is can be very confusing. <laughs> but it's BCE, before Common Era, so we're working backwards in time. Let's all try and keep our heads yeah. around that. We're on it. So his accounts are really where we take most of the information for the events and battles that are going to unfold. Yeah. So I'm talking about... Persia and the Persian Empire, it's kind of hard to get our heads around that because I think maybe now we sort of tend to associate the idea of Persia with Iran. Sure, definitely. But of course, the Persian Empire was at different times Mm, enormous, huge, Huge. went across into Africa, went across into Asia, into Europe, all over the place. Mm. So at the period of history that we're looking at, the Persian Empire was pretty much at its zenith. It was mm. huge. And it had for quite some time been ruled by Darius I. So Darius I wanted to expand and wanted to invade Greece and take over more area in Greece. And there was a thing called the First Persian Invasion, mm-hmm. which had happened in about 492 BCE. But that hadn't gone so well, and he was defeated by the Athenians at the Battle of Marathon, which you may have heard of, mm-hmm. in 490 BCE, right? So repelled, pushed back to Persia. But he was already planning another evasion when in 486 
his Egyptian subjects revolted, so he had to turn his attention to Egypt because Persia that was also. part of the empire. So he basically got distracted from his conquest of Greece by the Egyptians. But while he was sort of preparing to march on Egypt, he died. Oh, okay. So he died, and uh, then his son took the throne. So his son, Xerxes. Xerxes. Xerxes the first. giant gold man. The giant gold man that you may well be familiar with from 300. Again. <laughs> I feel like he probably wasn't a giant gold man. He most definitely wasn't a giant <laughs> gold man. That is most definitely artistic license. Yeah. Most definitely artistic license. He was very gold and very giant. Yes. And very smooth and hairless. Yeah. Very. And so hairless. Yes. But that's not what he was like in real life. What? You don't say. No, not at all. He had so, so much. He probably did have that much gold that he wore on his person. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. Giant gold Xerxes comes to the throne. And he very quickly crushed the Egyptian revolt. And so he turned his attention back, back. to Greece. It's right. like whiplashing with his head. He's like, like hey, one conquest dealt with, another one on the way. Let's do this. Dad was into invading Greece. So am I. I'm totally going to do the same thing. I feel like you're making the context of the, the movie 300 so much clearer to me. <laughs> oh, good. That's good. But isn't it funny because it kind of also shows you how anglicized and Western, like I think our history is that we're taught in school because I feel like I know so much more about the Greeks and the Romans than mm. I do about, I know almost nothing about the Persian Empire. Or the Assyrian Empire, or like yeah, well, any of those. But we don't get the history from the Persian Empire point of view. We get the history from the Greek. Yeah, exactly. So the only things that I know about the Persian Empire are what I know of the, the you know, the battles they had with Greece. I yeah. don't actually know very much at all about what life in the Persian Empire was like, all of the kind of grandeur of the Persian Empire, the literature of the Persian mm. Empire, the heroes of the Persian Empire. I know like nothing of well, any of that. And it seems real ridiculous. But we don't get taught that. So it's not doesn't kind of like it doesn't ever occur to you to until you're yeah. older to seek this to sort just of be stuff like, out. Oh shit! There's a whole bunch of other empires that are just as, if not more, interesting than mm. the Greeks and the Romans, and, and I should look into those. And I have some other Persian Empire ladies to uh-huh. get to in the future. Excellent. But today we're just gonna Artemisia. stick with Artemisia is the name of a herb that it is. Used for lady troubles. Well, is that that's something that's a, relevant to bring up now? I feel like that was a, a side. I took a big sidestep. It then. is a sidestep. That is named after Artemisia the second oh, of oh, Caria, not oh. to be confused with Artemisia the first. Okay. And also, Artemisia the second is the one who's most often portrayed in paintings. And there's a whole bunch of paintings that are dedicated to depicting her drinking her husband's ashes. Glug 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 yeah. glug glug. Right. Because that's what you do. You drink your husband's ashes. I mean, Cause she was. what else do you do with them? It's logical, isn't it? She was so beset with grief that she, that she drank, drank his, his ashes. ashes. Well, that's a good story. But that is a story for another time oh, because that's a different lady. It's a different Artemisia. Is she Entirely. related to this Artemisia? Yeah, she is. Okay, good. But further down the line. All right. Anyway, let's come back to Artemisia, the not one who's named after the herb. Anyway, we're talking <laughs> about, remember how we're talking about giant gold god Xerxes? Xerxes. Yes, he turns his attention back to the Greeks. He sure fucking does. Don't and worry. he's like, I'm going to invade 
You on board, Lauren? I am. I was just going to say, don't worry. Our listeners haven't lost themselves. <laughs> they haven't checked out. We're still here. We're with you. And I'm hoping everyone's, you know, like you can use that Frank Miller aesthetic if you like. You can feel free to use that like 300 Sparta well, aesthetic I am, as we I'm talk through this story. Eva, Eva Green aesthetic. Yeah. Use Even it. But Very, know that it's bullshit. She's definitely way too white to have been Artemisia, but... And also story bullshit. Yes. But still. <laughs> so, in order to invade, there were some things he had to do first. Yes. One of these things included digging a canal through the what? Mount Athos Peninsula. So this is a really interesting concept. I guess concept. No, but that actually makes a lot of sense because that's the easiest way to transport shit. Yes. on water. So this is a really fascinating concept, I think, when we think about the history here and because with Artemisia basically where we're heading we're heading towards a naval battle yeah right okay everybody knows that we've mentioned this we have established that we've established that so talking about how these ships are going to maneuver is really fascinating because of course this period of history as well sea travel or seafaring I mean the the Greeks and the the Persians had huge fleets Mm. but they didn't tend to stray too far from where they could see land. Yeah. Because at this this point in history, uh, a lot of those navigational tools hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. Like things like the astrolabe or yep. the sextant or... Yep. Um, All the things that al- allow you to plot your point. Exactly. Yep. Plus you got like Scylla and Tryptus and all those other otherworldly sea creatures to worry about. That's right. You've got to navigate around them. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, even though quite seafaring people wouldn't stray that far from land would keep land in sight so they knew where they were going so this path that xerxes was trying to make down into greece i wish everyone could see your hand movements this is yeah this is me mapping out very good mapping skills thank you totally what greece looks like it looks like this interpretive (laughs) dance of greece um So, yeah, we've got to think about the the army. So they've got the naval army, but then they've got the army on foot, right? So they're trying to get all of these soldiers, thousands and thousands of soldiers, across into mainland Greece. And to do that, they're going up through this region, which was known as Thrace at the time, mm-hmm. which kind of comprised a, quite a bit of the top of Greece, Bulgaria, Yeah, I was going to say, that, I assume that that's where that connection yes, is exactly. via Bulgaria into Turkey yeah. these days. Yeah. So yes. it's, that, it's a very long train journey. It, and could you imagine how long it would take you to fucking walk it? Yeah. Especially if your engine breaks down twice overnight. <laughs> Says someone with some experience. <laughs> well, Lauren, you weren't in the Persian army. No, it wasn't. So, you know, things weren't that bad It could have been worse. But they could, you could have been in the Persian army yeah. a lot worse. So they had a long way to go. So this canal was being dug in a part of Thrace, which was kind of being dug through a peninsula so that when the naval fleet came through, they wouldn't have to divert around the peninsula. Mm -hmm. Because in the first invasion of Greece, some ships had been wrecked in a storm off the peninsula. Uh So that was too dangerous. They were like, let's not do that again. Yeah, Xerxes was like, I don't want to do that. What I want to do instead is I want to build a canal through the peninsula. Makes a lot of sense, actually. It's a very good strategy. Strategizing. And that canal is like one of the kind of only things that is left over from the Persian Empire wow. in Greece. Like, it's one of the only kind of remaining parts of the Persian Empire's invasion huh. that you can find in modern-day Greece. Anyway, so 
He had to build a canal. That was going to take some time. In fact, it took three years. I mean, it's a heavy-duty infrastructural project. It is. And I'm just giving you this all this background. We're coming to... Don't worry. We're coming to the naval battle. But this stuff is interesting. And it <laughs> builds this picture for us. Uh-huh. Okay. And so he also needed to sort of drop off stores and provisions along the way as well. So when the army was were marching through, they wouldn't starve to death. So that had to all be set up in advance. And then we have to bridge the Hellespont. Oh, so we have to bridge the Hellespont. So the Hellespont, not to be confused with the Bosphorus, which is further up in Istanbul, yeah. which is the body of water that straddles Asia and Separates Europe. Separates Asia and, yeah, that's right. Exactly. You can take the ferry from Asia to Europe. But of course, back in the 5th century BC, no ferry. you couldn't take the ferry no. from Asia to Europe. No. Couldn't do that. But also, you don't want to add to your trip from where they were down in sort of the mm-hmm. south southern part of Turkey, yeah. or I should say Persia, yeah. don't want to waste your time having Going to walk all the way up to there again. and across. Yeah. So instead, you want to take a shorter route and you want to cross the Hellespont. Yes. So in order to do that, he had to build a bridge. Yeah. More project managers need to be hired. So many. This would be boom time <laughs> for all of those magnates unemployed project managers just waiting around yeah for their time to shine <laughs> so he built a bridge but the first bridge failed unfortunately <laughs> it was destroyed Fire all of those project managers well unfortunately he beheaded them oh so damn. worse than firing so the first tentative bridge was destroyed in a storm that's not the project manager's fault it's not but he blamed them and he he blamed the people who built it and beheaded them but he also blamed the actual river itself. Well, not river, but the strait. That's the I mean, word I should be using. It's know, like a strait. I think that's fair. Insurance would blame it too. Well, you know what he did? He wanted to teach it a lesson. Oh, what did he do? He had it whipped. Oh, God. He had soldiers whip the Hellas Pont. I bet that taught it a lesson. That fucking did. He had it whipped about 300 times. He had it... Now, this one's silly. <laughs> More <laughs> if silly? that one wasn't silly, he had it branded with hot irons. Uh huh. It's a body of water. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah, but remember that here you're dealing with a pantheon of angry gods, and it would have pissed off one of those pantheon of angry gods. That's true. And he also just had soldiers generally shout at it. Yeah, just shout. But that's disrespectful to the gods. So it's true. You know, there is a logic there, but it's also just really quite silly. Yeah, it's really silly. So, but it worked because then they built the second bridge and the second bridge worked. See? So there you go. They taught the god a lesson. They did. They appeased the gods. I don't know what the Persian pantheon of gods are. So, where's Artemisia? She's coming. Okay. But you've got to get all this shit first. Okay, we're getting the history. We're getting the context. Getting the context. And also because it's just really fucking cool. Okay. (laughs) So, this bridge was made out of a whole bunch of ships that were just kind of like lined up and anchored and so second bridge right great so now we can get (laughs) we can get all of the persian army across the bridge that makes so much sense just line up all your boats in a row exactly oh my god yep and so the persian forces were something like bajillions bajillion well millions 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 really though one million one million approximately one million strong Whoa. With at least 10,000 elite warriors. They were known as the Persian Immortals. 
But also more recent estimates suggest that that was actually closer to about 60,000. Holy shit. Yeah, and the Persian fleet, including Artemisia, who we're getting to, consisted of about 1,200 ships. Wow. So... Them that, some numbers. That is some numbers. So those twelve hundred ships included ships from Halicarnassus, Kos, Nisarus, and Kaldna, wow. which were all under the command of Artemisia. <gasps> I was nearly gonna say Xerxes. <laughs> Artemisia. She's Artemisia. In, she's getting in the story now. Good. So imagine we've got all these Persian ships making their way towards Greece. Yep. We've got all the land army now are making their way towards Greece. Yep. So, of course, the Greeks getting scared. Mm. So They're like, talk- shit. They are. That's exactly what they said. So, of course, oh, when we're talking about the Greeks, we're talking about basically like an, an allied group of forces, different ethnicities yes. in Greece. So, not a, just... A collection of city-states. Correct. But we'll just call them the Greeks in a generalised fashion. What about the Spartans? Well, what happens is a story (laughs) that you're possibly quite familiar with, uh, which is the story of the 300 Spartans. So Themistocles, who was an Athenian general, he wanted to get together these allied forces and and build a blockade to stop the advance of the Persian army across the land. Mm -hmm. So this is the story of the 300 at Thermopylae. Heading off the pass, heading off the Persians at the pass, right? So this is happening on land. Meanwhile, meanwhile, on the seas, on the oceans, come the Persian fleet. Yep. No one can see your hand gestures. Oh, fuck. Just me. Sorry. Stop doing them. (laughs) So at the same time as Thermopylae was happening, Themistocles also dispatched 271 ships to stop the Persian navy at the Straits of Artemisium. Interesting, it should be called Artemisia yeah. when her name is Artemisia. They're but, not connected. No, but they're all derived from Artemis. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Of course. So Artemisium is a town on an island that sort of just sits off the coast of the main section of Greece that mm. has Athens on it. Oh, I've explained that. The really, mainland. I've explained that really badly. <laughs> Look at a map of Greece. There's so many islands. And it's one of them. And you know what I'm talking about. It's one of them. And uh, so this is where we get this, the Battle of Artemisium, because this was the first battle that was fought. But before the Persian Navy even arrived at this island where this battle was going to take place, uh, they were caught in a storm. And this storm actually wrecked quite a lot of their ships about a third of their ships yeah so like what's that that's like, a lot like 400 or so 400. of their ships but it still left them with a lot of ships right by the late summer of 1480 the remaining ships arrived and they sent a detachment of 200 ships around the coast of this island in an attempt to trap the greeks but there was another storm and they were shipwrecked <laughs> so the persian fleet Sensing a theme. It's fallen away here. Okay, we're getting rid of some of them. But when finally the Greeks and the Persian fleet clashed at Artemisium, the battle raged for about two days and there were substantial losses on both sides. And at the end of it, there was really no clear victor. Oh. Which is a bit of an upset, right? So this is what Artemisia is leading? So 
She's part of this battle, okay? And Artemisia distinguished herself in this battle with her bravery and with the fact that she fought incredibly fiercely. She impressed Cersei so much and he held her in incredibly high esteem and was very impressed by her endeavours. But this isn't the bit where she excels, okay? This is just where she kind of... She's doing all right. She's doing all right. She's proving herself. At the same time as this battle was raging, the pass at Thermopylae had been taken, mm-hmm. as we all, The 300 again, failed. They sure did, yeah. as we all remember from that film. Yeah. So the Spartan army there was defeated, and the allied Greek army was retreating to another little island, uh, sort of west of Athens, called Salamis, and Athens itself was being evacuated. So the Persians basically ended up marching into an empty Athens and taking control of it. Okay, so this was happening at the same time. But... Cersei wasn't happy, even though now they'd taken control of Athens. He wasn't happy with the result of the Artemisium mm-hmm. battle. He didn't like the fact that it was like a bit of a stalemate, yeah. no clear winner. And he wanted a decisive victory over yep. the Greeks. So he assembled his commanders and he asked of his general, Maradonius, to gather their opinions on whether or not he should engage the Greek fleet again. And it was pretty much a unanimous yes from all of the commanders, except for Artemisia, hmm. who spoke up. Oh, she's getting the book out. It's a good, it looks, it's a good looking book. It's old. It's, its papers are thin and its color is brown. She's flicking through it. Let's go. This is how Artemisia replied. She said, My past services give me the right to advise you now upon the course which I believe to be most to your advantage. It is this, spare your ships and do not fight at sea, for the Greeks are infinitely superior to us in naval matters. The difference between men and women is hardly greater. In any case, I know. (laughs) In any case, what pressing need have you to risk further actions at sea? Have you not taken Athens, the main objective of the war? Is not the rest of Greece in your power? There is no one now to resist you. Those who did resist have fared as they deserved. Let me tell you how I think things will go now with the enemy. If only you are not in too great a hurry to fight at sea, if you keep the fleet on the coast where it is now, then whether you stay here or advance into the Peloponnese, you will easily accomplish your purpose. The Greeks will not be able to hold out against you for long. You will soon cause their forces to disperse. They will soon break up and go home. So... She was saying, basically, we should just take this as a victory now. Don't send the fleet out again because we've suffered substantial losses. And if we just wait this out, then the Greeks, they are going to starve eventually Mm -hmm. on this island that they've retreated to. They can't last there forever and they'll disperse and they'll go home and the Allied forces will fall apart. So best we don't go in. Don't do anything. Hold it out. Stalemate. Yeah, stalemate. Let's not do anything. And Xerxes was like, this is excellent advice. Really? Yeah. He's like, this is wonderful advice. Thank you for being the only person to speak honestly and tell me the truth. <laughs> Great advice. I am not going to follow it. Oh, okay. Because. I'm Xerxes. Yeah. And also like, whoever listens to a woman. 
Well, I was actually wondering, how did she even get into this position in the first place that she was taken seriously by these men and that she even was able to rise to the rank of commander? Well, because she was a queen back in Halicarnassus because she was married and her husband died and her son, she had a son, and her son was too young to take the throne. Women often become queens in this way, like their husband dies leaving them in power because their children are too young yet, so they kind of rule in this, what's that word? Regent? like a Regent, regent role. Yeah. That's really, really common, but I feel like still taking that that next step further into becoming a military leader is something that happens far, far, far less frequently. Yeah. Particularly in this period of time, which, you know, to be honest, wasn't great for women yeah. as leaders in the world. Well, this is one of the reasons, I mean, this is one of the reasons why Herodotus writes about her so much in his histories, because he holds her in such high esteem for a manly courage, basically, yeah. for taking this role on. He actually says of her, when he first sort of mentions her in his histories, he says that um, he lists all of these commanders. He goes on to list all of the commanders of the Persian fleet. And then he says, there is no need for me to mention all the other subordinate officers, but there is one name which I cannot omit, that of Artemisia. It seems to me a most strange and interesting thing that she, a woman, should have taken part in the campaign against Greece. On the death of her husband, the sovereign power had passed into her hands, and she sailed with the fleet in spite of the fact that she had a grown-up son mm -hmm. and that there was consequently no necessity for her to do so. So interesting, yeah, grown-up son. Okay, mm. go on. Well, she came into power when he was young. Yeah. But, but when she's in the fleet, though, that ta power would ordinarily be taken away from her once her son comes mm. of age and she would be, you know, retired to some palace somewhere to live out the rest of her days as a, yeah. you know, yeah. widow. But instead she chooses to take to the sea as Which is really commander. remarkable. Yeah. And I, I'm really interested to understand what men allowed her. And this is the problem, I think, because I don't know very much about what Persian society was like. But, I mean, women were defective men, according to Greek philosophy. Mm, and according to Aristotle. Exactly. But I don't know, and this is the thing, I don't know how it compares in Persia. Was Persia the same or was it different? I have no idea. Because Egypt was a little bit different. Women had far more rights in Egypt at the same time. Well, to be honest... I don't, don't know. know the answer. Well, I don't we know will answer. throw that out to the universe. Anyone who does know... That would be great. Maybe tell someone us. knows the answer. I just, I, re I really wish that I knew why she was listened to. And even though he chose to obviously ignore her sage advice. <laughs> yes. You know, exactly. the fact that she was granted a seat at the table seems really remarkable. In a military campaign, not even just as a queen, but in a particularly military context. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, it seems like she did have some friends within the ranks of the commanders. But it also seems like she had quite a few enemies as well. So I feel like perhaps a lot of it was mainly because she was favoured so much by Xerxes. Yeah. And if it wasn't favoured. If it wasn't for him, she quite possibly would, yeah. wouldn't have risen to the ranks that she did. Because it's also interesting when she says things like the differences between us and them are the differences between men and women because that's that whole kind of leaning in yes. style. Oh my gosh, like, she walks the walk. If yeah. I want to have this power mm -hmm. among men, I need to become like a man and I need to denigrate women and I need to be one of the boys. Yeah. So I wonder how much that plays into it if she kind of cast aside a lot of her femininity and, and held herself in that same, you know, in the same way that we see... You know, women talked about in the corporate world sometimes as being these, yeah, Having, again, yeah. leaning in. Yeah, exactly. And taking on those masculine yeah. traits, yeah. quote unquote masculine traits. Yeah. But I mean, this is interesting then because this coming back to that Hollywood portrayal, because her Hollywood portrayal is this 
sexualized. Such a sex symbol. And, and the, is Eva Green. The costume she wears and the clothes she mm. wears. She's just like. Then she, everybody in that film is sexualized, though, to be yes, fair. True. Yeah, everyone is. But. Of course, that's not what she would have Of course, wearing, that's I'm not sure, what she would have as a naval commander. But I mean, Herodotus attributes this to her own spirit of adventure and manly courage. Mm, manly and these courage. were her only incentives. Yeah. Her manly courage. Yeah. And yeah, that is really interesting. So she is attributed all of these manly features. Which I think if you're a woman in that time, you can get away with doing so much more if if men respect you for having masculine qualities Mm -hmm. that you've proven to them. Yeah. They don't just see you as being another, you know, emotional woman. Yeah, and there is a quote that I can't find now that we've mentioned it, but there's a quote basically of referring to her as an Amazon, being like yeah. an Amazon. Yeah. So it's that it's that same idea of yeah. distinguishing herself through yeah. these exploits. But I guess again, you can also get away with that if you have that sort of attribution to the divine, you know, being as a part mm. of the a demigod or a goddess, of course, or yeah. a descendant of a goddess yeah. or a god, yeah. that also gives you that ability to transcend these kinds yeah. of and know, leading, social divisions. Yeah, and leading by some kind of divine right or yeah. divine intervention. Yeah. But there's nothing particularly in her history that suggests that. Yeah. Actually, it's really hard for us to know because there isn't a lot of historical evidence or historical writing about her beyond the few snippets that come through in different plays Mm. and as say mainly from Herodotus's version so this is where that line of history Mm. and myth Mm. and legend is so so blurry and so difficult for us to know how that actually would come about so what happens when Circe has ignored her oh her trusted advice have a good advice I have a feeling that exactly what she said would happen happened. It goes to shit. Yeah. Because you know what? She was right. You should listen. But another part of this as well was also that Xerxes had thought that his men acted like cowards in the last fight as well. Mm -hmm. So I think he really wanted to test them again, put them to the test and make them prove themselves. Yeah. He was also tricked a little bit by a really dumbass lie by Themistocles who sort of sent a message uh, to flatter Xerxes and to tell him that, mm. you know, he really thought that Xerxes would, would win and that there was infighting amongst the Greeks. It was a pretty flimsy lie. I don't know why he believed it. But anyway, <laughs> and it flattered him, I think, as well, into thinking that uh, he was so wonderful. So convinced by flimsy lies and sort of the sycophantic pandering of the rest of his commanders, he was like, yep, we will go to battle. So as we've established battle shit happens did not go well for the persians at all this is what happened this is herodotus's version of what happened in the battle i cannot give precise details of the part played in this battle by the various greek or foreign contingents in the persian fleet i must however mention artemisia again of course he's obsessed with her she's outstanding in her field on account of an exploit which still further increased her reputation with xerxes At a stage in the battle when the Persian fleet had lost all semblance of order, Artemisia was chased by an Athenian ship. 
As her ship happened to be closest to the enemy, and there were other friendly ships just ahead of her, escape was impossible. In this awkward situation, she hit on a plan which turned out greatly to her advantage. With the Athenian close on her tail, she drove ahead with all possible speed and rammed one of her friend's ships. Yeah. (laughs) I cannot say if she did this deliberately because of some quarrel that she had had with the man who was in charge of that fleet, or if it was by chance that that particular vessel was in her way. But in any case, she rammed and sank her and was lucky enough, as a result, to reap a double benefit. For the captain of the Athenian ship, on seeing her ram an enemy, naturally supposed that her ship was a Greek one, or else a deserter which was fighting on the Greek side. So he abandoned the chase and turned to attack elsewhere. That, then, was one piece of luck, that she escaped with her life. The other was that, by the very act of doing an injury to the Persian fleet, she raised herself higher than ever in Xerxes' esteem. <laughs> For the story goes that Xerxes, who was watching the battle, observed the incident, and that one of the bystanders remarked, Do you see, my lord, how well Artemisia is fighting? She has sunk an enemy ship. Xerxes asked if they were sure it was Artemisia, and was told that there was no doubt what- whatever. They knew her ensign well, and of course, supposed that it was an enemy ship that had been sunk. She was, indeed, lucky in every way, not least in the fact that there were no survivors from the ship to to accuse her. Xerxes' comment on what was told to him is said to have been, My men have turned into women, my women into men. (laughs) So she basically got out, uh, she saved her own skin by sinking one of her own (laughs) own ships, ships. ramming it. Sometimes you've just got to know when to make a sacrifice for the greater good. That's right. You've got to save your own skin. And she <laughs> and she was also known. But she shone for this. Like she, she was did. celebrated for this. And she she was known of well, she tricked him, basically. Yeah. He didn't even realise it was her. <laughs> well, he didn't realise that she'd sunk one of their own ships. Because she was also known for keeping the standards of Persian and of Greek ships uh, on her uh-huh. ship. So she would when she would she have was, just raised the Greek standard. Exactly. I honestly I don't understand why this didn't happen more in naval warfare. Like, I know, it's hello, so simple. Where is the other fucking flag, mate? How it is, are they gonna know? It's so fucking simple. I'm sure there's simple. lots of signals that give away which ships are which, apart from the. But it seems like a, such a simple thing, doesn't it? Yeah. It seemed like people should have been doing that all the time. <laughs> because she would just simply raise the Persian flag when she was attacking a Greek ship and raise a Greek flag when being attacked by a Greek ship. Yeah. And they would be like, oh, no, never mind. That's a sh-. Anyway, it's certainly very silly. <laughs> so I'm th- sure it must be more complicated than that. Surely. Surely it has to. We so, are not naval commanders. We should make that clear. Yeah. Somebody out there probably knows more about that. I mean, I've played a lot of Empire Earth in my youth, but (laughs) I don't think that makes me a commander. That really doesn't count. So the captain of the ship that had been chasing her, yeah, basically turned around because he thought that she was either a ship deserting for the Persians or that she was fighting (laughs) for the Greeks. But Herodotus, also the father of history who we shan't question, knows all, um, he also I would like to know how he found out about this if everybody who was a witness was dead. Well, everyone who was on that ship was dead. But, you know, everyone on her ship survived. So they probably... They all were just like, shh, don't don't tell tell anyone. Cersei's, he will fucking kill us. Don't tell anyone we sunk one of our own ships. Please, no one tells Cersei's. So it just, you know, eventually got back to Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. But it was on the down low, right? Get it? So, Herodotus speculates that had the Greek ship that was chasing her realised 
that it was still Artemisia, was still a Persian ship, he wouldn't have stopped chasing her because orders had been given to all of the Athenian captains to specifically take Artemisia alive. There was a prize offered of 10,000 drachmas for her. What's that worth in sheep? Got no idea. A lot of How many sheep stations is that, as my gran would say? What's that in sheep stations? Oh, fuck load, gran. A lot of sheep stations. Good. But the reason was because they thought it was utterly intolerable that a woman should make an expedition against... Yes, of course. See, the Greeks the would have been so offended by this. So offended. Unless she was so. a goddess. So that's why she had this target on her head. Yeah. Because she had I'm surprised they didn't like, give her a, some kind of divine status just to justify how she had managed to do this world thus far. But it's amazing. It's actually really quite amazing to think that she's this blip in this battle... But she's just there. Mm. She's not there under any divine right. No. She's not she's there Exactly, under... which is why it's so remarkable. That she, I can't understand how she got there. I want to know more about Persian culture now to figure out how she got there. But also, apparently, she recognised the body of Xerxes' brother floating amongst all the wreckage of oh. other ships and scooped him up out of the ocean and took him back to Xerxes. Yeah. But... That's probably not true because that would be a hard thing to do. Yeah. How do you tell one corpse from another? I don't know. When it's floating in the water. Well, if he was also giant and golden, then that would seem apart. Ah, the family resemblance? Yeah. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. But so this was a pretty definitive loss to the Persians this time because really they got wiped out. And Xerxes acknowledged that Artemisia had fought more boldly than any of the other commanders. (laughs) Even though she totally... Even though like, she sunk one of his own ships. <laughs> he didn't know that. No. He didn't know that. She tricked him. She totally tricked him. So now he asked her what course of action he should take. Now he wants to now hear Now he's her like, opinion. I trust you. Now I want to you hear You were opinion. right. Yeah. I wonder how many times she made him say that. Yeah. Could yeah. you just... I'm sorry. Just, just say, say it again. again. I didn't Sorry. Say sorry, what was that? I didn't catch that. Oh, I was... Oh, I was, I was right. I was, I was, oh, did you say I was right? Yeah. Oh, because I was almost right. as though I told you so. Yeah, funny that. But this time around, when he asked her whether he should lead his troops to the Peloponnese or if he should withdraw from Greece and leave his general in charge instead, she said, G-T-F-O. She said, no, go home. G-T-F-O, I think I G-T-F-O. said that. Yeah, exactly. You're quite right. And this time... He did. He listened to her. God bless. Ran away. He ran away. But I think it wasn't just that he listened to her. I think it was that he was scared and he decided yeah, to He was like, home. you know what? Yeah. This hasn't gone as well as I planned. <laughs> I might just... You know what, General? You're in charge. Yeah. You finish up this invasion of Run Greece away. thing. And Run away. Run away. And Run so away. he did. Run away. And uh, left his general in, in charge to finish the conquest of Greece. But, unfortunately, within a year, the Persians had been completely defeated and that put an end to the Persian invasion. But, you know, Xerxes was safe back in home. He bravely turned his tail and fled. He sure did. Like the giant god king he was. (laughs) So, it's kind of hard to know what happens to Artemisia after this because this is pretty much her... This is her 15 minutes of fame. It's her only moment. This is her moment in the sun. We don't know how she got there. We don't know what happened afterwards we don't really know what happened afterwards but there's a bit of speculation so she apparently she was sent off with a couple of his Xerxes had some illegitimate sons and he sent her to take them back to Turkey or 
Persia, I should say. And basically we can assume that from there Artemisia and Caria prospered because Xerxes thought she was so great. So she was in his favor, which is fabulous. We pretty much don't really know what happened to her after this. We don't know much more about her at all. Mm. There are a couple of speculations about how she died, though. Oh, yeah. And one version that was recorded about 13 centuries later, so, you know, we can't well, really... Mm, hard to know how believable mm. that is. When I say recorded, maybe I mean made up. <laughs> um, claims that she fell in love with a man who ignored her, <laughs> and so she blinded him while he was sleeping. Oh, good. That actually sounds believable. Yeah. I would say that. I would believe that. Yeah. But blinding him while he was sleeping didn't make her any less in love with him. Which oh. makes sense, I guess. I don't know why she thought that that would make it any... But anyway. <laughs> so what she did, was she, was adv- she consulted an oracle, and the oracle advised her that the only way to rid herself of her passion for this man was to jump from the rock of Le- Lucas? I don't know how to say it. Because apparently jumping from that rock was said to cure people of their passion for love. Which is it kind like of did jump- by killing them. I was going to say, is it jumping to a death type of situation? Yeah, Like it it's is. a suicide. I'm so yeah. in love with this person, I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. But the thing is, the theory is, is that you, if you survived, you'd be cured of your passion. But mm, it's I kind of you- like you just die and you're cured of your passion. Yeah. So, and apparently this is what Artemisia did. She uh, jumped yeah, fair enough. to her death. Well, you know, Freud would say that blinding her husband was, in a way, a form of castration. So I think we can say that she symbolically took away his manhood for ignoring her and then she threw herself off of a rock. Yeah, thanks, Freud. We can definitely say that. (laughs) Also, supposedly, that's what the poet Sappho did as well. She threw herself off the same rock. Uh So, you know, it was the thing to do. But she was pining after a woman. Yeah. Yes, so there's quite a few gaps because really she's just this blip in this battle, she's this blip in time here where yeah. she excels and stands out. But obviously the lack of information around her is, you know, it's it's unfulfilling. Yeah. And this is the point at which Hollywood writers and... Fill it in. Fill it in. Give her a rapey backstory. With a rape revenge story so in the movie so now people we return to whence we began we return to the failure of frank miller's imagination yeah and if you see the film now now you'll understand why this is so aggravating yeah because we don't know her history we we know that she well, we can actually assume that she grew up with her family because yeah. her father was the governor and yeah. her mother was there. And again, she... in order to get to the prominent position that she had, yeah, that doesn't happen if you're not from a, a you know. She was a family of nobility. Yeah. So she was high up in the ranks. So we, we do actually know a little bit about, we can place her mm-hmm. her childhood, we can place her history. So in the film, though, the story they give her is that when she's a girl, she sees her family get murdered in front of her eyes Did by a squad, a squad of Greek, no, probably not, mm. by a squad of Greek sort of citizen soldiers. And then she's captured and then she's forced into sex slavery mm. and she's kept in the sort of bottom of this Greek slave ship where she's just a sex slave for years and years. Oh and the God. film really beats you over the head with this. It's like, it's. Why can't a woman just be a powerful naval commander because she's just a fucking powerful naval commander? No, that's Hollywood. Because she's ambitious. Oh, ambitious? No. Likes the sea? No. And she 
enjoys the power of commanding a fleet no. because she is interested in pursuing her own passions no, and not you, in getting revenge on anybody. Didn't you know, Lauren, that the only thing that motivates women to greatness is being sexually abused or having your children taken away from or you. Or having your children killed or taken away from you. That's all. That's it. That's the only thing that motivates female characters. Mm. I don't know why that, you know, is a problem for you, Lauren, or for me. <laughs> well, I'm only motivated to do this podcast because my seven children were taken from me. <laughs> so true. It's not true. It's not true at all. <laughs> um, but, I mean, but this is the problem with this story. Yeah, then this ab- is uh, Absolutely. Like, this I'm laughing, is... but only I'm laughing because it's so frustrating. It's infuriating. It's so infuriating. And, I mean, the problem is, as well, is that that story is not one that doesn't happen. Of course, of course it, it does. does. But it shouldn't be this, like, standard but it's, this insert, insert motivation exactly. here. Exactly. And this is the problem because this is how it does function in Hollywood. Yes. And yes, of and course. And it perpetuates itself. And of course it's important to tell the story, the, like, to tell survival stories. Of course it's important to sell it, like, to uplift women who have survived. But... It's not a backstory. No. And it doesn't address the actual endemic issues that surround things like sexual violence in any way, shape, or form, except for making it into this kind of weirdly transformational thing, which also suggests that women aren't capable of achieving that kind of level of ambition or power or drive without. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because that's... Maybe women can just be ambitious. Maybe women can just... Be powerful. Maybe women can just be, actually, maybe women can just be violent. Yeah. Also, like. Yeah, like these stories are real and these stories happen and these stories are, you know, genuine parts of narratives. And lives. And lives. And and real lives. And contemporary lives as well. But I think it just frustrates me where it's just this, you know, this woman who is a very fascinating historical slash mythological figure you know we don't know and so we can't Mm. fill in those gaps just for the spectacle of filling in those gaps and i think that that is the issue it's played for spectacle Mm. this is a hollywood spectacle Mm. yeah and so therein lies my rant yeah and the reason why i thought we'd have a look at at the real artemisia yes the naval commander and a little bit of a Trixie so Trixie lady Trixie lady but she, she got away with it it's a good sure on her she did yeah so you know watch the by all means watch those films but and just keep in mind see how you feel there is a, another 300 film from the 60s oh yeah and uh, Artemisia is played by Anne Wakefield in that version there you go another which, white woman yes yeah uh, which I haven't found that version yet so i don't know why the 1960s version would be played by a white woman well, if the yeah. 2000s version wasn't played by a white woman <laughs> don't know why you'd expect woman, that so. anyway anyway so here we are she has appeared in lots of different guises since but that particular guise really shut me yeah there you go well that's probably a good point to wrap up on i yeah, think so well let's bring this one to a close well do you have any idea where we're going to be going next time no okay great <laughs> Well, let's just wait and see what happens then. <laughs> we might, maybe we'll be moving forward in time. Probably not that far back in time. Okay. All right. Yeah. No worries. Well, we'll see where we end up. In the meantime, you can catch up on all of our episodes thus 
far on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any of your favorite podcatching apps. We are on there. Podcatching. Apps. That's what they're called. Oh, okay. <laughs> or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. You can find us at Deviant Women. And of course, if you want to join our Patreon page, we have all sorts of exclusive behind the scenes content. In fact, our most recent Patreon only content I think is pretty amazing. We've, well, Alicia takes all the credit for this one, but we delve into <laughs> the world of animation. Claymation. It's our first feature. It's not a feature at all. It's a short, short. Fa- it's our first short film. Look, if I get weeks and weeks of time, I'll work on a feature. But for <laughs> the time being, we're just keeping them to some minutes. Uh, and if you would like to buy some merchandise, you can find our shop on Etsy. And that's all from us. So once again, thank you so much to India Hui for the music and to Brendan Davies for the sound. And we'll see you next time. Bye.